everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monsters and Murder. I'm Shane. And I'm Sam. And this week, I'm bringing you a Christmas episode. Yay! <laughs> or at least kind of as close to Christmas as the supernatural gets. So everyone knows Santa, and everyone knows his opposite, which is usually considered to be Krampus, right? I don't know Santa personally, but <laughs> he used to come to my house all the time when I was a kid. Uh-huh, and you left him cookies and milk. Well, I left him like partial cookies. Like he never got a full plate. Like I was selfish. <laughs> well, the opposite of Santa is usually considered Krampus because he's a little meaner, a little more scarier. And honestly, he seems a little more powerful too, in my opinion. Well, Krampus has horns, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot scarier than Santa with a jolly beard and a belly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so that Krampus movie, which honestly is one of my favorite Christmas horror comedy movies that came out. It was and, really good. Yes. It came out in 2015. And honestly, I did not realize it was that long ago. Yeah. That little gingerbread man was great. Yes. I just, I really enjoy that movie. And, you know, like I know Black Christmas is, I think that's the other horror movie that's really popular. I, I know that one. I've seen it. It's meh. I like this one. I like the Krampus one much better. You know what I am going to be watching over Christmas break this week, which is not uh christmas but scary what's that scream that's what i'm gonna be watching i've been like <laughs> craving it if you can crave a movie i've been craving it and i'm watching it are you going to watch the new one i am i'm actually i want to watch all of them that have been out mm -hmm. um, because i have not seen scream five but i want to watch it i already know what happens but i want to watch it <laughs> they're all so good and honestly scream tv show is really good too i, I don't know if that's your that. thing but I really liked it. All right, so I will dive right into the story. Um, today, we are not going to be talking about Krampus, even though I just mentioned him. Maybe in a future episode or somewhere down the road, I might want to cover him. But I want to talk about some Christmas entities that are not Krampus or Santa. And I wanted to ask, how many other entities do you know that are associated with Christmas that are not one of those two mentioned above? Um, I know Bell Schnickel. Okay. Oh, that's not actually, that's Dwight Schrute. He told the story. Oh. <laughs> I thought it was like a demon, honestly. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, honestly, like I've always known like others exist. And, you know, if we don't count the Grinch or the Christmas spirits that visited Scrooge. Oh, I <laughs> how can I forget the Grinch? I totally <laughs> forgot the Grinch. Well, I've only heard of like a very few that I can actually kind of recall. And honestly, the ones that I am even slightly familiar with are probably just because I listened to a lot of other supernatural podcasts and you know i watch all that stuff on tv as well so i only remember names but what they do is still a mystery to me until i started to do research now the first one that i want to tell everyone about is gorilla which literally is just kind of like gorilla but the r is supposed to be rolled when you say it which i can't do so i can roll my r's it just doesn't ever sound good like when i say gorilla she is a giant troll who lives in cave dwellings and kidnaps and feasts on naughty children who have not obeyed their parents. Me! <laughs> she can be found in Iceland. And Grilla is first mentioned in the 13th century compilation of Norse mythology, which is called the Prose Edda. But there's no specific connection till Christmas. That compilation is considered the fullest and most detailed source from modern knowledge of Norse mythology. And it draws from a wide variety of sources, including versions of poems that survive in today and they are those poems are in a collection called the poetic edda 
I was able to find an excerpt about her that has been translated so that we can understand it. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Here comes Grilla down the field with 15 tails on her, while another section describes, down comes Grilla from the outer fields with 40 tails, a bag on her back, a sword or knife in her hand, coming to carve out the stomachs of children who cry for meat during Lent. Oh, well, that uh, that's... Uh... That's dark. <laughs> yes, she's a little bit darker, even probably more so than Krampus to a degree. Yeah, I don't recall him carving out the stomachs of any children, but I mean, no. maybe I missed that part in the movie. But I mean, that Jack in the Box ate them. <laughs> oh, yeah. That Jack in the Box is kind of creepy. Yes. So I got that ex- I got that excerpt from a wonderful article in the Smithsonian where author Alex Pommel, or Pommel, I don't know how it's pronounced, interviewed a man by the name of Terry Gunnell, and Terry Gunnell is the head of the folkloristics department of the University of Iceland. She described depictions of Grilla by saying, you never know exactly where she was. Long poems were written about her and a husband, but he didn't last long. Gunnell explains she ate one of her husbands when she got bored with him, so in some ways she's kind of the first feminist of Iceland. I mean, I could understand that. Although when you said that she is hard to be seen, immediately I pictured a Where's Waldo. (laughs) Cruel and bloodthirsty woman with a pathetic spineless husband. I don't know much about the mythology. Mm -hmm. Going back to Terry Gunnell, she says she was really a personification of the winter and the darkness and the snow getting closer to taking over the land again. Not only did she represent the threat of winter, she was also seen as actually controlling the landscape. Gunnell goes on to explain that the Icelandic people understood themselves to be more like tenants to their harsh environment, where glaciers, volcanoes, and earthquakes all dominated the land, and they would view mythical creatures like Grilla as the ones who were really running the show. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost, you know, like a personification of Mother Nature, a very dark, morbid one, but... <laughs> I really like that a lot. I did find some conflicting reports on when she became associated with Christmas. Some say she was not associated with Christmas until the 17th century. And the head of the folkloristics department of the University of Iceland say Grilla did not get connected to Christmas until around the 19th century when poems began to associate her with the holiday. Regardless of when it happened, her family that lived in the cave with her began to grow. Whenever she became associated with Christmas, the stories begin to also include her 13 sons known as the Yule Lads. Good God. Yes, 13. I mean, if I had 13 kids, I'd be eating some kids too. <laughs> well, she doesn't eat her own kids. She only eats everyone else's bad children. But along with the Yule Lads, she also has a monstrous cat that is known as the Yule Cat. Aww. They all lived in the same cave, and we will discuss those family members a bit later. The fact that she was a child eater who sought out children over the festive season sends a similar message to kids as Santa bearing coal, just with less finesse. (laughs) The message to children is loud and clear. Be on your best behavior during Christmas. Or else you're going to get eaten. Yes. The more brutal delivery of this message is perhaps due to the fact that winters in Iceland were incredibly dangerous and many disobedient children who went out in the dark and snow never returned home. Which is That's scary really and kind of sad. Mm-hmm. 
There was also a lot of work that needed to get done before the darkest months set in, requiring extra diligence and efforts from all family members. Throughout the year, it is said that she collects whispers about children around the island misbehaving, and when winter sets in, she sets out to gather them. That would be rough living there, like having to prepare for just like a few months. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. that still happens, but that would be very difficult. Exactly. And this take on the story, you know, says she's kind of like hearing whispers. So I feel like she's listening to gossip, which means if there's just someone you don't like, you could gossip <laughs> about them. And if they're like, if they're a child, like if you're both children, you could just gossip about the person you don't like. And then Grilla would come after them. And there you go. Problem solved. <laughs> Her appetite for the flesh of the naughty youths is insatiable, and each year she finds no shortage of her favorite crop. Collecting them up in a sack, she then cooks them in a pot and turns them into a giant stew that will sustain her until next winter. Hope she stocked up on her celery and onion. You need that for (laughs) two. Children are truly terrified of her in Iceland. In fact, Grilla was such a terrifying image to children that in the 18th century, the Parliament of Iceland outlawed the use of her legend as a scare tactic. So children were no, That is yeah, it, crazy! Yeah, it was bad. So children were no longer threatened with being devoured and were instead given rotten potatoes in their shoes when they misbehaved. Ooh, which is worse? <laughs> I don't know. I think about that too. And I'm like, I don't want... If you put a rotten potato in my shoe, that shoe is going to smell like that rotten potato forever. Yeah, you better watch your ass because I'm coming after you if you put a rotten potato in my shoe. <laughs> but that is Grilla the child eater the giant troll child eating troll <laughs> I mean I don't know I think I prefer her over that rotten potato to be honest yes yes same here that is uh, gross and nasty Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so next we're going to talk about Grilla's 13 sons as I mentioned before they're known as the Yule Lads each of the Yule Lads are known for and by their own stunt and when they arrive over the course of the 13 nights before Christmas beginning on December 12th. One then departs each day beginning on Christmas Day in the order that they arrived. Thus, each of them stays for 13 days. That's creepy. It also sounds like one of those really awful stupid word problems that you get in your math book. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yes. Like if so-and-so arrives on this day and then leaves on this day, when does the watermelon that wasn't mentioned until now leave? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so they too, like their mother, are described as trolls, but they are not giants. Many depictions have them as the size of Santa's elves and resembling what we now know as modern gnomes. Jeez, would you rather fight one big uh, one big gnome or one big elf? Uh, no, one big elf or 13 little gnomes. <laughs> I would take 13 little gnomes because if I could get like a club or a bat or something, you could just bat them away. That is true. That is true. So more modern depictions of the Yule Lads say that they leave small gifts and shoes that children place in windowsills. But if the child's been disobedient, they leave the rotten potato that I mentioned earlier. I guess I have a lot of potatoes there. <laughs> well, regardless of how they're depicted, they all shared the features of troll of trolls. They were enormous, well, not enormous, enormous for gnomes, filthy, unintelligent creatures, humanoid and bestial in equal measures, who could only operate in the hours of night should the sun cast them to stone. Now, each Yule lad has an Icelandic name, which has been tr- translated into English. Yeah, on, no. I do, yes. I, ha- I have the English translations. 
So we're going to go with those translated names because we all know how my phonetic pronunciations don't always sound intelligent or work. <laughs> so the first Yule lad comes on December 12th and he will leave on Christmas Day, December 25th. And he is Sheep Coat Claude. Oh, that's not what I was expecting. Not what I was <laughs> expecting, but you know. So Sheep Coat Claude arrives to torment your sheep. Icelanders apparently used to, or maybe they still do, I'm not sure, but they keep their sheep underground in the winter months. So when the sounds of their... crazy. Yeah, it's weird. And like, I think I looked up a way and I'll talk about it in just a few minutes about like exactly how they keep them underground. But when they hear the sounds of their tormented bleating and that would echo up through the house, it was a sign that Sheepcoat Claude had found them. Such a sound, though common in the winter months, with the storms regularly harassing the flock, became even more ominous, particularly considering that the sheep were the lifeblood of every farmstead. I would be sleeping with my sheep. <laughs> like many of his brothers, he was limited by a deformity or handicap, if you will. Some reports call his legs stiff, while others say that he walked on two wooden pegs. Well, which is it? I don't know. <laughs> there, those are the two conflicting versions. But the best way to avoid having a visit from the first Yule lad is if you have sheep, hide them and hide them well during the winter, but particularly in the 13 days leading up to Christmas. Yeah. And if you find your sheep being tormented by sheep coat clawed, what should you do? Apparently, all you can do is wait it out. You have to you wait it out. Nope, you have to wait it out until he moves on to your neighbors. And soon enough, in order to terrorize as many Icelandic homes as he can, he will move on. That, well, that just sounds like awful. <laughs> well, and I looked up like these little underground areas where they keep the sheep. And honestly, they look like kind of like the um, houses like from Lord. No, 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 no. They look like the little houses in the hills that you see like on Lord of the Rings associated with like those elves a little bit. Um, true story. I've not seen those movies. Ah, okay. Well, I don't really like them. Um, but anyway, it's pretty much almost like a basement. They've either dug out on the side of a hill or under their house. Oh, okay. So that's what I mean when I said they keep them underground. Well, they need so to do a it, better job. <laughs> well, I mean, they probably, other than the house, they don't have a lot of places to keep them warm during those really harsh winters. Oh, yeah. But they are covered in like wool. So. Yes, that is also true. All right, so if you and your sheep survive the tormenting of the first day of the 13 days leading up to Christmas, the next day, you'll lad number two arrives. Arriving on December 13th, and he will leave on December 26th. His name is Gullygog. Look, look, I don't like this because you're dealing with multiple monsters at the same time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Gullygog <laughs> is known for hiding in the gullies around the house. And then he waits till everyone has gone to sleep and breaks into the cow shed and steals any available milk. Oh my gosh! Yeah, they're little How thieves. How not done? <laughs> this is a big deal because in stealing the milk, he robs these families of the key ingredient in their sauces that are meant to be enjoyed over the festive season. Anyone that owns cows, and if they milk their cows, they could tell you how important this is to them. Not just for selling, but for providing a living and means for the farmer's family. Mm -hmm. That's awful. It is. So only wealthier Iceland's own cows. Most poor people historically lived on the farmsteads of the rich, 
meaning that they were affected by these antics as well. I did see one picture depicting Gully Gulk drinking directly from the cow's udders, which I think is utterly gross. Uh, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> My thought was, if you want that raw milk, then by all means, help yourself. Milk is weird. It's weird that we're the only mammals that drink another animal's or mammal's milk. It's just, it's a huge reason why I have switched to the almond milks and other nut milks and oat milk. Yeah, like, stay away from my cow's titty, please. <laughs> <laughs> like, I rarely drink straight up, like, dairy milk anymore, unless it's kind of like chocolate or strawberry, which is my favorite. And if I'm making it, then it turns into pretty much liquid sugar anyway and less milk. I can't remember the last time I had dairy milk. Like, it's probably been years since I've had dairy milk. Mine hasn't been that long, but it's definitely been a very, very long time. Also so long, I think, I think I've told you, and sorry for TMI listeners, but I think I might be developing um, a lactose against it. Or like I, I said, lactose, I lactose intolerance. Cheese. What's that? I guess I have like real dairy in the form of cheese. Mm-hmm. But like actual milk, milk, I haven't. Yeah, and I like, even though I eat a lot of cheese, I don't eat as much as a normal person does. So I think that's where my intolerance may be coming from. But anyway, if you catch him drinking all your milk or stealing your milk, it would maybe scare him off, but I didn't find any notes on what happens other than for unsuspecting people waking up to no milk. So we can't do anything about him either? Nope. Well, th this is just getting worse and worse. You're supposed to look forward to Christmas and I would be dreading it. <laughs> so if your sheeps survive the tormenting and maybe you lose little to no milk or all of it because every Yule lad could end up visiting you, December 14th, the third one arrives. His name is Stubby, and he sticks around until the 27th. Now, he sounds like he could be a good Tom. <laughs> well, he... What do you do with that? Going to, have a, going to have a drink with Stubby. <laughs> well, Stubby is abnormally short, and Stubby steals plant, excuse me, he steals the pans to eat any crust that remains in them. So on one hand, I relate to that little stubby and the fact that I do love some good pie crust, especially if it's a chicken pot pie. Oh, God, me too. That crust is the best part. It is, which is why, on the other hand, he's kind of a jerk because he takes the pan, and which he does not return. Well, I mean, if it's one of those, like, the aluminum ones, I hope he recycles it. That is true. But no, these are probably kind of the better ones. And it's kind of sad because historically, pots and pans were incredibly valuable in Iceland. The country had no iron reserves or a mining industry of its own, and such goods had to be imported and therefore were very expensive. For some impoverished Mm-hmm. For some impoverished families, they were the only possessions worth anything that they had. So I guess that means any leftovers that are just set up set out for the taking, which makes him kind of a jerk when he steals them. And in the few depictions I've seen of him, he seems to look a little more jollier than the rest of his brothers. I mean, he sounds jollier. I think the mm -hmm. solution to this problem is either, like, get a really good dishwasher <laughs> or change. Like, if you're if you're going to have leftovers, don't leave it in the same pan. Put it in <laughs> something else and store it somewhere else. And then problem solved. Yes. All right, so now we move on to December 15th, where the fourth Yule Lad appears, and his name is Spoon Liquor. He sounds like a creep. <laughs> well, it is exactly as it sounds. 
And would it not be kind of terrible to be known as the one thing that you do? Like, I'm certain I would be known as like candy or candy eater or sugar consumer if I was just known by like one thing. <laughs> I would be compulsive duster. That <laughs> <laughs> you would be the type of Yule lad that people would want to visit your house. I would be the one that they would want to oh. keep out because I would just steal all the sugar. <laughs> Well, anyway, he breaks into homes of Icelanders and he licks the spoons of the household in hopes of a morsel to eat. He sounds like a mouse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so his appearance, he is grotesquely thin from malnutrition, which is unusual amongst trolls who are often depicted as more overweight and muscular beasts. But the lesson that is to be learned from Spoon Licker's behavior is less apparent than with many of his other brothers. Although it was perhaps as simple as ensuring children cleaned their cutlery. Cleaned forks and spoons um, meant no visit from spoon liquor. My guess is just, you know, this one could be a good one. Like you you wash your dishes very well. Problem Mm -hmm. solved again. Yes. And if not, you're going to have to eat off the fork that some little troll licked off of. Yeah. And luckily, on December 28th, he leaves. And then I suppose you can leave your dirty cutlery out again. There you go. Just stay clean for a few days, and then you can go back to being nasty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to December 16th, which brings along Pot Scraper. Like his brother Spoon Licker, he breaks into homes, but instead of stealing <laughs> the spoons and licking them, he steals leftovers from pots. Just put it in a different container. Don't leave it in the pot you cooked it in. Yes. Well, this generally includes pots of sauces, chunks of roast meat left on the tray, saucepans of seasonal vegetables, or scours of, or he scours for anything that's just left over in general to eat. Leftovers may bring him sniffing at your door. The moral that comes with pot scraper is to encourage your children to finish their meals so that there are no leftovers. Yes, forget those hunger cues, kids. They don't matter. (laughs) And... Pot scraper will leave on December 29th. My birthday! Get out of here, you fool. (laughs) (laughs) December 17th ushers in the arrival of another liquor. That's right, bowl liquor. Uh, Triple liquor in the building, (laughs) y'all. This yule lad does exactly what his name says that he does. He tries to steal your bowls, or in the case of the Icelandic people in Asker. um, And these were types of bowls that were hand-carved and came with a lid. Now, it could be said that the Yule Lads are all quite creepy. However, some like to argue that Bowl Licker is the creepiest because of how he patiently waits to get these bowls. Each night, he would quite literally lay beneath a child's bed, waiting for them to finish their nighttime soup or pudding. Uh Uh-uh, no thank you, no. (laughs) When they are satisfied, he will readily snatch the remaining food to guzzle down himself. Ooh. It's a good thing I don't have a nighttime pudding. Like, I have a nighttime banana and peanut butter, but I don't have a nighttime pudding. (laughs) (laughs) When he, excuse me, while some may say that this tale was to scale children into going to sleep and not indulging in a midnight snack, the fact that they were told that this little man-like creature was hiding under the bed. Imagine being told that, and then you have to wake up at 3.30 a.m. to pee, but then you remember that Bolliker might still be waiting under your bed. That's super creepy. How how are you supposed to sleep? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And if you find this creepy, just remember that Bowl Liquor leaves on December 30th. 
Do we have a, a plate liquor? <laughs> no. Next up, we have the most famous one. Who are you calling a cootie queen, you lit liquor? <laughs> Is his name lit liquor? No, no, I just made that up because that's all I, I could think of when I've seen all these liquors. <laughs> yeah, that's why I went lit liquor, not cootie queen. <laughs> Although, cootie queen could have been a good one. Yes. And that honestly really was the best commercial ever made. I still to this day quote that a lot. I quote that a lot to my brother. Like sometimes I'll just walk in to see him and be like, who are you calling a cootie queen? You lit liquor. <laughs> yeah, I could see. I could see Tina doing that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which by the way, listeners, we call my brother Tina because essentially he is Tina Belcher. Butts, 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 butts. <laughs> Anyways, that's all the liquors. There is no lit liquor or cootie queen, unfortunately. Can you imagine if she like, you know, those um, like necklaces that have like the initials, like what hers would look like with the names of all of her sons or like those decorative books where it has like all your kids names, 13 books of like, I almost said lit liquor, like spoon liquor, pot liquor, like. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. And if she was wearing like a necklace or something, it would be a chain. <laughs> yeah. Her necklace would essentially be the equivalent of a, CVS receipt. <laughs> All right. So I believe this next one has maybe visited us a time or two. Not even in December. But every December on the 18th, Door Slammer arrives. That, door Slammer. I think that would be my least favorite. Yes. Well, he does exactly what his name states. And if you remember, the Yule Lads can only come out at night. So he likes to slam doors at night and wake everyone up your livelihood's being lost and you're not able to sleep at all like this just sounds mm -hmm. like a two weeks of hell <laughs> it kind of is sometimes he slams them so hard that he ends up breaking them oh oh not only is that he is damaging property mm -hmm. <laughs> oh no but that's that's it on him um the guide to icelandic culture and the folklore page a source where i was able to pull a lot more of these in-depth explanations a more rational explanation is given about Door Slammer. The makeshift design of many turf houses, which are the ones that resemble the Hobbit-like homes from the Lord of the Rings series, which I know you haven't seen, but maybe some listeners have. So in Iceland, these may have kept the children wide awake and in terror over the Christmas season because they would believe that Door Slammer was the one slamming the door. And not just the makeshift design of those homes. Yes, let's terrify our children. Good job. <laughs> so now we're halfway through the Yule Lads. And on the 19th, staying until New Year's Day, which is January 1st, for anyone that may not know, is Skier Gobbler. Like his Can brothers. Mm -hmm. Skier Gobbler. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> so like his brothers, this is another thief. Skier Gobbler steals what his name suggests, which is Skier, a supposedly delicious and creamy yogurt-like dish. It is high-protein, low-fat product made from low-fat milk, varying slightly between the brands, depending on what you get it from today. It has the consistency of strained yogurt, but a more mild flavor. Skier can be classified as fresh sour milk cheese, similar to curd cheese consumed like a yogurt. And it has a slightly sour dairy flavor with a hint of residual sweetness. Yeah, no, thank you. Have it. It also reminds me a lot of cottage cheese, what it sounds like. <laughs> I love cottage cheese. 
So the Yule Lads can be explained as warnings to prevent children from misbehaving or to doing or in talking them into to doing their chores. But this one really seems like an out. I imagine one day the mom or dad might go to prepare the meal, and when they check on the skier, it's gone and significantly or maybe significantly smaller than the amount it should be. And when they ask their child what happened to it, I can just imagine them being like, no, mommy or no, daddy. It must have been skier gobbler who ate all the skier. Yeah, that's not on my face. That's something else. <laughs> so essentially, skier gobbler just tries to eat what is supposed to be one of the best dishes of the holiday season. If you're in Iceland. For me, that would be stuffing and I would get real pissed if somebody was eating all that. <laughs> All right, on December 20th, we're getting closer to Christmas now, but not without the arrival of Sausage Snatcher. Oh, snap. <laughs> this seal lad hides in the rafters and snatches sausages that are being smoked, which is also kind of creepy when you think about it. He has perfected his theft as well. It was said that he would break into homes and he hides in the rafters waiting for dinner to be cooked before swooping from above and snatching it. Can you just imagine, like, standing in your kitchen, someone swinging down from the rafters, stealing sausage, the amount of screams that are coming on? And can you imagine <laughs> the headlines? <laughs> well, the sausage is the only thing he wants, but thus far, we have various Yule lads <laughs> stealing your milk, pans, with crusts in them, leftovers, pots, all the wooden spoons, bowls, your favorite pudding, plus two of them that won't let your sheep sleep or your cows have milk. Honestly, this would make Christmas time less enjoyable. And if I knew all this was coming, like, I would just not want to celebrate Christmas. <laughs> Either. I would be terrified. I would dread that. Yes. Sausage Snatcher will leave on January 2nd. Next up, arriving on December 21st, is Window Peeper. Oh, he may be <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> okay. So I wrote in parentheses beside his name. I was like, we have a name for them here too, where we have them year round and we call them Peeping Toms. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, in some cases, maybe perverts. But I don't think yeah. the perverted side is what Window Peeper is known for. So Window Peeper is not written as a pervert, though he is still creepy like one. Um, and did you know that near Christmas time, Iceland only gets like four hours of sunlight? Because I did not know this. I didn't either. I knew Alaska has like very like very long night, uh, dark hours, but I didn't know that Iceland did either. I guess that makes sense though. Yes. Well, I had no clue, but the reason why I kind of stated what seemed like a random fact is because on these dark days, window peeper looks through the windows in search of things to steal. So like essentially all day, that's what he's doing. Well, only at night because they can't be out in the daytime. Oh. Yeah, but, but with only, only four hours of, mm-hmm. With four hours of daylight, then he could be out 20 hours of the day. He could be doing whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. I'm sure children feel feared that he would steal them and maybe give them to his mother, Grilla. Oh. Mm-hmm. So this snoop stays until January 3rd. Yeah, he's so far, he's my least favorite. <laughs> okay, this next one, I'm just going to come out and say it because he has the weirdest name. Starting on December 22nd, Doorway Sniffer arrives. Uh, I mean, I guess of all the things he could be sniffing. <laughs> <laughs> well, he may have come into folklore due to the whistling breaths of wind creeping through the Iceland's draughty turf homes. 
He was renowned for his enormous nose, massive even for a troll. The reason for his sniffing was also nefarious. He was forever seeking out his favorite meal, the Icelandic delicacy leaf bread. What's that? So leaf bread is a tradition, traditional kind of Icelandic bread that is most often eaten in the Christmas season. It is also known as snowflake bread due to its design. It's very thin wafer-like dough that when they bake it, it crisps up to like a flatbread, a crispy flatbread. That sounds delicious, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I would like that very much, too. So Doorway Sniffer, I guess because he is sniffing the bread scent in the doorways, steals your leaf bread before you can impress your guests with your little snowflake designs. Oh, no. 13 days from the 22nd, he leaves, which makes that date the January 4th. I mean, I guess he's, despite having the word sniffer in his name, Mm -hmm. he's the one that I wouldn't mind the most. (laughs) Well, this next one's going to sound like a serial killer. We're down to the last two. Yule Lad number 12, very similar to his brother Sausage Snatcher, is known as Meat Hook. Oh, good <laughs> lord. Mm-hmm. Meat Hook arrives on December 23rd, and he uses a hook to steal meat. So it's if you thought... Fisherman Slicker? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Probably so. Uh, but if you thought that only your sausage was in danger, think again. Meat Hook lurks wherever he has access to a kitchen, behind doors, under tables, in cupboards, outside open windows, and he lays in wait for the meat of any dish to be slapped onto the counter. Shane, you know, he, we may be safe because we have a lot of uh, non-meat meat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he would starve at our house and just move on very fast. Yeah, that's true. As soon as he could avoid capture, he'd pull out his long hook and snag himself the centerpiece of the family meal. These Yule lads are all honestly starting to remind me of the gingerbread man from the Krampus movies. Oh, yeah. They're just like little figures that run around. They're super annoying because the Yule lads are stealing like everything you want to eat and everything you can make a living with. I said, seriously. Mm-hmm. Meat hook sounds very scary. It does. Like I said, it sounds like a serial killer name to me. Uh, but he will attempt to steal your meat until January 5th. That's a long time to guard your meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from the 23rd to the 5th. All right, and now we're at the last one. Arriving on Christmas Eve is Candle Stealer. Oh, God. All those people that are at Bath and Body Works are losing their minds. <laughs> yes. So I'm not going to lie. When I first read this, I read Candle, excuse me, I read it as Candy Stealer. And I was like, that's were, me. Oh, no. <laughs> they already have me. But in the past, candles were incredibly valuable in Iceland, providing light through the winter darkness. As I noted before, in the darkest of the winter days, the darkness will last 20 hours. And this includes over Christmas as well. Candles were also only the only available tool for Icelanders to enjoy their historically favorite pastimes of reading. And over Christmas in Iceland, everyone uh, getting together to read out loud is an old tradition really lovely mm-hmm. oh my gosh we should bring that here yes so Kendall Steeler's intent was to not even enjoy the candle or use them but he only wants the tallow which is a substance made from rendering animal fat which used to be used in making candles and soap I don't think it's used any longer today um, it may not be good or it may not be good or sound disgusting 
but this was once edible. So he steals the candles to essentially eat them. So, um, but like, would he die if he didn't get it? No, I. they essentially, like, I guess the way the folklore goes is that they just move on to the next house. And seemingly at some point he's going to get it. So, but he's not doing it to be selfish. He's doing it because he needs it, right? Or is he just mm -hmm. doing it to be an asshole? Oh, he's just doing it because he enjoys he the talent. Around. Okay. Well, yeah, he... stealing that kind of joy sounds like my stepmother. <laughs> uh, so to get as much of this tallow as possible, he made sure he took it from the easiest targets in the household, the children. Of course he did. He follows them to their bedrooms or their reading nooks and robs it straight from their hands. Oh, how are kids not, they need therapy. <laughs> this is probably why Grilla was outlawed and soon the Yule Lads like we'll get into what happened to them because they're a little different in today's history um, yeah. so I so instead of taking candy from babies he's taking the candles from the babies oh my gosh yeah I can see why this is outlawed mm -hmm. he departs two days before my birthday on January 6th today their image has largely been sanitized Rather than being depicted as trolls defined by extreme deformities, they're now often wearing the traditional red and white clothes with fluffy beards and wide smiles, kind of like you associate with elves on Christmas. And instead of taking the bowls and licking the spoon, they're giving you chocolate spoons to make hot chocolate and they're washing your dishes <laughs> for you. Well, you know, funny you say that. Rather than pulling pranks, they simply leave presents in the shoes that children place on windowsills uh, kind of like the stockings on the fireplaces in other cultures. And not potatoes? And, well, instead of leaving a piece of coal, naughty Icelandic children will simply find a potato in their shoe in the morning. I mean, okay, as long as it's not rotten, I could still be okay with that because there are so many things you can do with a potato. Exactly. All right. Um, oh, and I had one other note. Candle Stealer is even said that he sometimes leaves good children candles now. So he's no longer stealing them. Oh my God. Okay. So for those of you that don't know, we are on Zoom mm -hmm. and I almost pissed my pants because I can see your reflection behind you. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm seeing a ghost. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that scared the shit out of me. Oh my God. Whoops. Yeah. It's getting a little darker and oh. I'm in a different place and I have some plastic borders around me and they reflect sometimes. That was very scary. <laughs> all right well thus far we've spoken about Grilla and her lazy husband her 13 sons and there is one final family member to this scary family they're not I'm not sure nope nope I'm not sure what to call them but anyway this last member is the Yule Cat that I mentioned oh yes the Yule Cat is also sometimes known as Yola Cotterin. for obvious reasons I will probably just keep referring to him as the Yule Cat <laughs> the cat is said to be a huge, vicious cat, a monstrously huge black cat, and a cat that is so big that it towers over the tallest houses. I read conflicting reports that state the Yule Cat prowls the nights of Christmas Eve and Christmas night. Regardless of which night it appears, they all shared its goal that the Yule Cat's goal was the same. It prowls in the nighttime and seeks out people, though some accounts say only kids. And we'll feast on them if they did not receive new clothes for Christmas. That's not their fault. 
Exactly. Like, you know it would be nearby by its piercing screeches, and others describe it as a faint meow meant to surprise the victims, and if the cat sees that no new clothes were received, then it would feast upon them. That sounds awful. Yes. Well, this whole family's kind of awful. <laughs> but the threat of being eaten by the Yule cat was used by farmers as an incentive for their workers to finish processing the autumn wool before Christmas. That's so what- terrible! Mm-hmm. The ones Although who- I- I feel like I know uh, some business owners that would do that to their employees. Oh, yeah. Well, they would have been eaten the first time the Yule Cat came the first year and they would no longer exist. No, okay. That's, yeah. But the ones that took part in the work would be rewarded with new clothes, but those that did not would not get anything and thus be preyed upon by the monstrous cat. Some say the threat was also to inspire children to gen- to give generously to those who do not have anything, such as like giving their clothes to the less fortunate would grant them protection from the monstrous feline. I feel like there are better just... ways to do that. Yes. Um, so while the cat is associated as the house pet of Grilla and the Yule Lads, it wasn't always there, you know, kind of like all pets. Yeah. Though referred to as an ancient tradition, written accounts of the Yule Cat have only been located as recently as the 19th century. No one is quite sure where the Yule Cat belief comes from, but what has made the cat universally famous is perhaps a poem by uh, Arcotlum, excuse me, Johannes Arcotlum. And that's the story of the Yule Cat and the family from which he resides, Grilla, her 13 Yule Lad sons included. Don't let your guard down as you may be eaten on Christmas Eve night. This sounds like something, I know you don't watch it, but this sounds like something Charlie would write on It's Always Sunny. If you watch the show, you can get it. Yes. All right. The next Christmas entities we're going to speak about are not part of that twisted family. In fact, we're going to switch gears and talk about a non-Santa Claus entity known as La Pafana. She's sort of similar to Disney, but not quite. (laughs) Yes. So in Italian folklore, La Pafana is a witch who brings good children treats on the morning of Epiphany, which is January 6th. But if you were bad, you may wake up with a lump of coal. However, not as mo- sad as rotten potato. No, no, absolutely not. Um, modern times have kind of done away with this part of the story about giving coal, and she'll only give children, or she'll only give stuff to children that she likes and that they will actually enjoy. She sounds like a nice one. She is. Um, being a good housekeeper, many say that she will sweep the floor before she leaves. I like her. Yes. To some, sweeping meant the sweeping away of the problems of the year. The child's family typically would leave a small glass of wine, but it has to be good wine, and a plate with a few morsels of food, often regional or local, for the Bafana. She She sounds like a good one. (laughs) Yes, she sounds a lot more fun. She's usually portrayed as a hag riding a broomstick through the air, wearing a black shawl, and is covered in soot because she enters the children's homes through chimneys. You know, I love her. She ain't no hag. <laughs> you ride that broom on over to our house and I will welcome you. Yes, she's often smiling and she carries a bag filled with candy and gifts or both of them. Yeah, come on, I'll have a glass of wine with her. <laughs> so the legend states the three wise men happened upon La Bifana early on during their quest. 
They asked for directions to where the Son of God was, as they had seen his star in the sky, but she did not know. She charitably hosted them for the evening in her humble but cozy cottage, as she was considered the best housekeeper in the village. The next morning, they invited her to accompany them to Bethlehem, but she was busy cleaning her home, and Lapifana declined at first, but then, after they carried on their way, she had second thoughts. She quickly filled a basket with gifts for the baby Jesus and set off alone. Although she followed the same star, she was unable to find the manger before the wise men did on January 6th. Just like is... me, direction. <laughs> <laughs> so to this day, La Bifana is searching for the little baby. She leaves all the good children toys and candies, which are often caramel or fruit, while the bad children get cold. There is another version that says La Bifana was an ordinary woman with a child whom she greatly loved. However, her child died as, and her resulting grief maddened her. Upon hearing the news that Jesus was being born, she set out to see him, delusional that he was her son. She eventually met Jesus and presented him with gifts to make him happy. The infant Jesus was delighted and he gave Lapifana a gift in return. She would be the mother of every child in Italy. If you see her on her way, you will receive a playful thump on the shoulder from her broomstick as she doesn't wish to be seen. She sounds like she sounds like a good time. She sounds yes. like a well, and the thump on the shoulder is really just an aspect of the tradition that many think was, you know, kind of added in there to keep children in their beds. I mean, I don't mind a thump on the shoulder. No. Like a, um, hey there. <laughs> La Bifana was a widespread, widespread tradition among the whole Italian people, having originated in Rome and having become well known and practiced by the rest of the population during the centuries. A theory connects the tradition to the exchanging of gifts in ancient Rome, festively in honor of Ionis and Strenia, which in Italian, a gift, a Christmas gift used to be called a strena. So that's where the strenia name comes from. And it was celebrated at the beginning of the year when Romans would give each other presents. The tradition of Bifana appears to incorporate other pre-Christian popular elements as well, adapted to Christian culture and related to the celebration of New Year's. The Bifana is celebrated throughout all of Italy and has become a national icon. Urbania is thought to be her official home. Every year, there's a big festival held to celebrate the holiday. It is attended by 30 to 50,000 people. That sounds fun. We should go. Yes. There are hundreds of Bifanas are present, swinging from the main tower. They juggle, dance, and greet children. Traditionally, traditionally, all of Italian children may expect to find a lump of coal in their stockings, which is actually a rock candy made black with caramel coloring. Okay, I'll, I can get on board with that. Yes. Oh, I would take that coal. Those um, cheap candy coals. I like those. It's the cheapest <laughs> chocolate, but I like them. I will eat it. Well, and it's said that every child should expect this because every child has been at least occasionally bad at some point in the year. That is true. Nobody's perfect. Yes, just so like Anna the... said. <laughs> well, that's the Lava Fauna, who I really like. I like her too. Mm -hmm. So the final entity we're going to talk about is one that I've never heard of until I was doing research. It comes from the Welsh folklore and is called the Mari Lloyd. To sum up Mari what Povich. this creature is, <laughs> not quite Mari <laughs> Provich. Um, 
This creature is a zombie horse that rises on New Year's Eve to remind the living of their existence, and it even tries to get in their house. I don't need I don't need a zombie horse to remind me of my existence. <laughs> I get that um, horrifying reality every time I look in the mirror. So, well, the origin of the Mari's name, like the horse, are deeply mysterious. One Welsh translation of it calls it the Grey Mare and connects it to the heritage of pale horses in the Celtic and British mythology, many of whom can cross over to the underworld. The other translation of the Mari Lloyd is Grey Mary. Some scholars have linked her to a legend connected to the nativity story. A pregnant horse is sent out to the stables when Mary arrived to have Jesus. She spent dark days roaming the land to try and find somewhere new to have her foal. Many- That's not really sad. Mm-hmm. Many Mari fans believe the character to have come from pre-Christian pagan origins. However, mm-hmm. this is impossible to prove. The earliest published account of the Mari Lloyd appeared in 1800 in J. Evans, a tour through part of North Wales in the year 1798 and other times. Like, that's the title. <laughs> that's a long title. Yes. I don't know what it was. Like, back in the old days, like, titles were paragraphs. Yeah, basically, you don't even have to read the book because the title is going to tell you exactly what it's about. Yes. (laughs) In a section of the book that spoke about the Welsh customs, there is a section that reads, A man on New Year's Day dressing himself in blankets and other trappings with a factitious head like a horse and a party attending him um, knocks on your door for admittance. And if this is obtained, he runs about the room with an uncommon frightful noise, which his company will pretend to be frightened. They soon recover by reciting a verse of some metrics form in traditional Welsh poetry or praying a small gratuity, or excuse me, or paying a small gratuity to get admission in your house. Is the solution to this just not let them in? Essentially, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but but they'll annoy you until until you let them in or if you pay them to go away. I'll come outside and start singing to them. (laughs) <laughs> Evans wrote about the custom in his 1804 works letters written during a tour through South Wales in the year 1803 and other times <laughs> so another book he provided a clearer discussion than before making it apparent that the teams accompanied the man dressed as a horse or bull and sometimes um, toured the local area from Christmas until 12th day which is January 6th and they were given food or money to leave the households alone I mean, there's a couple people that I would pay to get out of my house. (laughs) So the tradition goes, the Mari is taken around the village, often between Christmas Day and Twelfth Night. Um, She is decorated with lights and other Christmas time decorations and is usually accompanied by an ostler. Um, In some regions, like uh, the Swansea Valley, um, other folklore characters like a jester or lady would sometimes be in the group. Um, Lady is a famous puppet in wells um from a entertainment show of some sort oh i thought you meant like it was an actual puppet like coming into your house no 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 no. it's a it's a person dressed as lady probably oftentimes a man yeah yeah i was like is someone like they just walking around with like an armless hand up their butt (laughs) the string thing in front of the sky no, no. But when the group gets to a house, they sing Welsh language songs or more traditionally indulge in the ritual of exchange of rude rhymes with the person who lives there. If the Mari and her gang gain entry to the household, uh, or the household is said to have good luck for the year. 
The Mari is well known to be mischievous, trying to steal things and chasing people that she likes as she goes about her bidding. So that's a more thorough account of what actually is going on. It kind of sounds like a small child because they're brutally honest and they terrorize the house. Yes. <laughs> the Mari Lloyd itself consists of a, her- a horse's skull, sometimes a cow. I found in some accounts that is decorated with ribbons and affixed to a pole. To the back of the skull is attached a white sheet, which drapes down to conceal both the pole and the individual carrying the pole. And on occasion, the horse's head was represented not by a skull, but instead was made from wood or even paper. In some instances, the horse's jaw was able to open and close uh, as a result of a string and lever attached to it. And there are accounts of pieces of glass being fixated to the eye sockets and some examples of just it having eyes like some sort of representation of eyes. That's scary. Mm-hmm. It appears again in 1819, but with the Welsh Methodist revival, some believe Christian preachers had a destructive impact on the Welsh culture and folklore, which honestly is not a surprise. The Mari Loy tradition was started to decline, and it certainly did not help that Christianity termed this tradition as sinful. But the tradition did not die out completely. In 1935, there was an article written that talked about Christmas Eve of 1934, in which the Mari Lloyd was observed performing alongside at least 12 singers in a chemist shop in two Wells towns. Further into the 1900s, which is kind of really odd to say, because, you know, we were technically born in the 1900s in 1986 for me, but... Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so later, as we go through later 1900s, the tradition was being revived and discovered, where I guess I should say rediscovered, and by the 1990s, the tradition had reestablished itself. More widely, it is believed that the revival of the Mari Lloyd was in part due to forces of local patriotism. Take that to mean whatever you want to. Holding on to our heritage. <laughs> the town council of Abwith. Oh, goodness, I can't even say this poor town. I'm not even going to try, listeners. Um, <laughs> but there's a town in Wales that begins with the letter A. And it has the world's largest Mari Lloyd festival. Um, and this started in the year 2000. So it's not quite like the initial description of a zombie horse rising from the grave every year. But in a sense, she, because many people believe the Mari Lloyd is a female, um, comes back year after year. But that's essentially the end of the Mari Lloyd story. So the first ones we covered were on the naughty list. And these last two were on the good list. And as, as I stated before, Krampus will be covered one day, but I just did not want to do this stereotypical supernatural Christmas go-to in this episode. Not that there's anything wrong or bad about that. No, no, no. Krampus is fun. Mm-hmm. But Krampus is often the one that people turn to first. So I wanted to shine some lights on some other ones. Yeah, Um, and I've never heard of any of those. I neither. And it was really fun looking them up. I hope, you know, the listeners will consider this really fun to listen to. And we are releasing this one day before Christmas. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. Merry Christmas. If you don't celebrate Christmas, if you don't celebrate anything, we hope that you're still having a great day and mm-hmm. stay in a cold part of the world. And if you're in a warm part, we hope your sun's out, bun's out. <laughs> yes. Do you want to give them our contact information where they can reach out? Yeah, of course. So we are on Instagram at Monsters and Murder Pod, and you can send us an email at Monsters and Murder Pod at Gmail. Nice. Reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you think and tell us what you want to hear. Yeah, we would We would love to take your suggestions and um, yeah, just give us a feedback. 
All right. That wraps it up for this time. Happy holidays, everyone. And we'll be, we'll be back next week. Yep. Bye. Stay safe. Bye. Bye.